Hey, Mike. Hey, special needs, cats and dogs, a joy or a burden? Oh, I don't know. Let's discuss this with Tracy Turnbull. She knows a lot about the subject. Okay, great. Hi, I'm Mike Brampton. And my name is Julian Hope. Welcome to Veterinary Ramblings. Welcome, Tracy. Hello, Tracy. Hello, hi. Your friend Louise Buckley dubbed you into this, didn't she? She did, Louise, bless her, yes, who came to my rescue when, very sadly, we were one of the first charities affected by a positive brucella test, mm. the Canis test, and yes, it was a very difficult and challenging time. She very kindly uh, gave us advice and support and information and a lot of scientific literature to read. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a quagmire, isn't it, this? Priscilla business mm-hmm. and I think it was very badly handled at the start hopefully there's a bit more sense going on with it that what's happening that... what's happening in the world now then I'll, I'll pass the question on to Tracy what, what's happening with your I think that it's almost on the veterinary side it appears that obviously we're following that on the forums although I'm not obviously qualified in anything to do with veterinary medicine there are more scientific and evidence-based algorithms for care and treatment of dogs who are testing positive and also a different approach to the testing per se and with some more realistic guidance for vets and veterinary nurses and veterinary professionals about when to test, what tests to use, how to interpret them, what the implications are in terms of human infection and the, the risks that might may or may not be important to those individuals. I think after the hairs, but the most recent hairs report was published in September. Mm-hmm. Now the prevalence of the diseases appears to be more more well documented, and they are starting to recognise the risk as being very low to low. They had enough to make a kind of fairly clear statement on what they believed should be the priorities going forward. And they also, because mm-hmm. the evidence gaps, we're better equipped to start to research where the gaps are. Has that, has that affected the charity on the ground now? Because um, the holding of veterinary services, there was talk of routine euthanasia. It, it was all very emotive and very extreme at one point. What's the situation now if your dog tests positive for Brucella canis? Well, there are still going to be limitations for that dog, I think, and whether that will change over time, possibly, but the recommendation is really that the dog, where possible, is limited to the domestic environment that they live in or can be walked in an area where no other dogs or people frequent that area. So if you have land, private land that you can access, you can walk the dog there. If they urinate or defecate, that you have disinfectant and that you use that, that you don't let them come into contact still with people who are high risk so immunocompromised or elderly, very young. The the truth is we don't know because there haven't been enough documented cases to really understand where the disease severity is going to be greatest. But we know that for for virtually everybody, the risk is going to be very low for for, for Mm. most people. But I think that now most vets probably, hopefully, will not be citing euthanasia as the only solution and that they would be talking to owners about how they could manage their dog and the implications going forward. For the charities, obviously, you would hope that all reputable charities are now testing pre-import. I was going to say, that that's the critical thing, I think, isn't it? It's the, the pre-import. Uh, and, and a lot of charities are struggling for money all over the world. We, we have the impression that, um, uh, that the charities in, in Romania, where I believe Priscilla is believed to be rather more rife, are struggling even more than some of the other countries. So how are we able to ensure that they can finance testing? It's very difficult at a time when charities, not just animal charities or overseas rescue charities, but all charities mm-hmm. in the UK are being badly hit by the by the, uh, the financial crisis um, and fundraising is an ongoing problem. I'm more involved with rescuing dogs from Greece. However, the charity has rescued dogs from Romania and other countries. The, the actual costs now of importing a dog from overseas, from the start of preparing that dog to getting into the UK, probably around about £1,000, you're not going to get much change out of that. Um, and your mm. blood testing of that, if you're going to test for your general 4D tests and, and Ecanus, then you're looking at 
150 euros probably. And then, of course, you've mm-hmm. got your courtesy of Brexit, you've got your import tax and your customs duties and preparing the animal health certificate. And then your transport costs um, for moving the dog to the UK. Many charities will mm-hmm. use a, a registered facility before the dog comes to the UK. And then again, when the dog is in the UK. So, it's, for example, our, our charity, it's a, an association of dogs and cats I'm a member. So, we have to have our dogs independently behaviorally assessed before they can be rehomed so they have to go to kennels first to have that carried out uh, for people to say that most charities are making money out of importing dogs we lose money we no. lose money very successfully if you can show me any who are making money tell me <laughs> because we're not I, I know i can't believe do the the, the new owners uh, foster or doctors cover most of those charges some of those charges do they vary greatly it, it probably about two thirds of that are covered by the adoption. If it's a young, healthy uh, animal, if it's an older a dog, and some of the of course some of the other charities are important cats as well. But some of the older dogs or, or dogs that have special needs, there would be a, a low, usually a low adoption fee, and the rest mm-hmm. of the costs of bringing the dog into the country would be met by sponsorship either individually or on a corporate level by the charity or by fundraising for a specific dog. And there are lots of fundraising groups that will help some of the the charities with particular dogs. If we make it known to them, look, we've been asked to help this dog. The reality is we're only going to be up to a very low donation fee because there are ongoing costs with that dog. Then recently the dog came over, he's 11. And of course, they may have had a very hard life. You don't know how much longer they're going to have. And so it would be unreasonable and unfair to ask an adopter to pay a huge amount. Although some do. Some will offer to pay. Tracy. What do you mean by special needs dogs? Any dog that has a health or well-being need that is over and above what you would normally expect. But in real terms, what does that translate to for, for most rescue dogs coming over? It would be blind dogs, deaf dogs, dogs missing what? a limb, paralysed dogs. and But of course, dogs with epilepsy, dogs with lupus, dogs with ongoing skin conditions. It encompasses a huge number yeah. of different disorders, but... Personally, my involvement has been mostly dogs with orthopaedic issues or particularly missing limbs. What got you into this? I, I stupidly adopted a puppy who had been run over by uh, uh, by a car and left for dead on the side of the road in Greece. And I saw a I saw a, a a promotion on Facebook for her, and nobody else wanted her or would adopt her, and. Yeah. Um, and so I did, and it was, yeah, completely terrifying and anxiety-provoking. I didn't know on earth I was doing. I was a nurse, and I kind of, um, I made a huge number of mistakes because I treated her as if she was an invalid, when in fact she's just a normal dog. And I created a monster, an empress who kind of <laughs> rules the house. <laughs> that was brilliant. Yeah. Dogs and cats often cope much better than we would with similar injuries or similar yeah. special needs. I think because they don't know, do they? They don't know that there's anything else they should be doing without it. No, Just they have the experts, yeah, kind of mindfulness. Yeah. They live in the moment. They are. They have no uh, sense of body image. They adapt. They're resilient. They... Yeah. They're, they're like the Black Knight from Monty Python, aren't they? You, they lose an arm. Come on. Yes, come on. Come on. Yeah, come on back. I'll wipe my way along. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's what they teach you as well i think that having a, a pet with special needs is it's a huge undertaking but it's a huge privilege as well and and i think you learn things about yourself and mm. um and those around you learn as well but particularly about my grandchildren they have the opportunity to question disability and to look at it in a different way and i think that has real advantages in terms of their emotional growth and empathy and an understanding that you know just because somebody or, or a dog is different it, it doesn't mean that they're not still a dog and they don't mm. still have the same feelings needs wants what have you learned from the experience uh, i guess i've learned that some of the things i thought were important in life are not. I think I maybe learned that lesson when I was young because I nearly died in a car accident. I was in hospital thinking I'm never going to spend another day 
in bed. I'm never going to lay it. Every day, I'm going to enjoy life. I'm going to live life. I'm going to I'm going to grasp it. And of course, I, not every day I haven't. But generally speaking, I have tried to always think that <laughs> this life is a gift. And and I think in my job, you're acutely aware that it can change in the yes. blink of an eye. And I think that disability is a club any of us can join any day, any time. It can happen. And you don't necessarily expect it's going to uh, or and or be prepared for it. Nevertheless, it can be visited on any of us. And I think that I've really learned what is important in in life, and and to try and not take things for granted, and to that that we can adapt, that we, we we can all adapt, and you don't have to fear something just because it's an unknown. And it I think for my, in my job, that's been really helpful. I've learned lessons from the dogs that I've taken into my work with people, and I guess that's that one health, isn't it? We're all learning. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Do, do you want to tell us a little bit more about your uh, road accident? Yeah, no, it's fine. I used to run for county cross-country running, and I was out running training, and it was a dusky, it was in the winter, and I was running down the road, and a driver who, he was on the wrong side of the road, so he he ran yeah. me over, and I sustained, yeah, some quite serious injuries from a fractured femur, which was a really, really very, very... A difficult fracture it was in, in many places and mm. it couldn't be pinned and I had lots of other kind of lesser injuries pelvic injuries and, and so, yeah I, it had to be in traction for the bone to just heal on its own oh, uh, it mm. couldn't be pinned it couldn't be plated it was too convoluted because they didn't want to amputate I was so young so then yeah that was a, a kind of a long journey of, of rehabilitation after that as well and then sadly I kind of fell over and refractured it again <laughs> I kind of went back oh. a bit and uh, yeah but uh, anyway that's it. I got through it, and uh, although I missed a year of school, it, I, I caught up and yeah, carried on. And and again, just showing that you can yeah, you can get away with quite a bit. Yeah. So you were thirteen when that happened, yeah. Mm. And that's you've you've credited this with, in effect, changing the course of your life. I think you really did because the people who looked after me in the hospital, I was very lucky. I was actually put in an adult ward because I was on the cusp of whether I should yeah. be in a children's ward or an adult ward. So I was put mm. in an adult ward. And and I think that the nurses felt sorry for me probably because I was still very young and I, and I did get very well looked after and very well treated. And I think that not just my physical needs, but my psychological needs were very well looked after by the staff there. And, and I genuinely felt cared for and nurtured at a time when I still mm. really you still make you still need your parents as well and of course they couldn't be there they visited me every day but they couldn't be there mm. and I remember thinking I'm going to do this I am going to pay back what I've had and I don't know that my school were particularly happy about it at that time it wasn't a degree level course when I started you going back 40 years ago this was a certificate level course right. then and, you know they didn't expect you to leave with all your A levels and then go off and do nursing but it's been a good life for me and and a very rewarding career, and I still love it. I still enjoy it. What did these other forces think that you were destined for? Then I, I had a place to read law, so I think they probably would have preferred me to. Yeah, for those of us who, who didn't go to university, we were kind of lumped at the, the back of the prize giving. It was very different in our day, wasn't it? Back then, mm. and obviously. People like his nibs over there. He knew he wanted to be a vet and a biochemist and all of this sort of stuff. And we were expected to follow this path, weren't we? And I can still remember the careers advisors that would come around the school and they'd give you this. Can you remember those interviews where you had to go through a whole list and then they'd go, yes, okay, Mr. Brampton, I think that's perfectly right. And uh, yes, you should become a fighter pilot. We have a Apart from that, there's enough clowns in the circus as it is. So, uh... we, we had this crazy Polish guy called Mr. Radovich, who I'm sure is long dead, poor chap. But he, <laughs> he hated the thought of me becoming a vet. Mm. He said, you want to be a vet? Why do you want to be a vet? This horrible job is poo everywhere and smells. <laughs> and you get bit, you know that? You get bit and kicked and uh, you bloody shitty job. You become an actuary. Eh? You go to the mat, you actually, that's the thing for you. You get loads of money and you buy cars and have big, expensive wife and house and things. And he was always actually, you get lots of money. But oh, then, oh, awful. And it, 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 to the day I filled in my UCA form that we had to do at those days, yes. you know, the university application form. Oh, no. You're a fool. I wash my hands. I wash my hands. <laughs> it was pretty much the, the same. Yes, you. You wash your bed pads. Is that what you've studied for the last five years to do that? It's been a great, it's been a great career. 
and, and an incredibly illustrious career. So you were a nurse for, for how long? I'm still a nurse. So I'm like trained in um, 83 as a clinician. In nursing, there's a real push in terms of promotion to go into management. It's much easier to acquire status and more financial reward than going down the management. For those of us who choose to be clinicians, it's frowned upon, even in the nursing. That is changing. And obviously the nurse consultants and the nurse specialists now, that's changing. But yeah, I first of all trained as a general nurse and uh, and then uh, worked for a while in, in general nursing, A&E and neurology. And then thought, I don't really, it's a bit like having a car and kind of the car's running, but you don't really understand the engine. And I kind of thought, well, you know, I really want to understand people more. So I thought yeah. I'm going to do my mental health nursing. So I did that, then went back to general, kind of worked for a while back in, in general again. And then transitioned over to psychiatry. But the job I have now encompasses both in a way because it, I, I work with the this is clinical need, but I triage all the calls coming in. So for the junior doctors who are on call with me, the call doesn't go to them. It comes to me first and then mm. I assess whether I can deal with it, the staff can deal with it, just giving give them support. And, and so I get to deal with physical and kind of mental health, trivia and emergencies, everything really. Um, mm. Yeah, it's a very reactive job. I'm, I'm everybody's manager and nobody's manager in a way, just there to, to make sure that everyone gets through the night, hopefully, and we all come out the other yeah. side. Interesting. So what sort of calls do you get? The mundane stuff is bed management. So that's always, always going to try and to make enough beds to, to bring in the urgent admissions. Uh, deteriorating patients, particularly patients who have physical deterioration in their physical health. Yeah, patients who have infections, you know, septicemia, this kind of stuff, psychiatric emergencies, challenging behaviour, um, patients who are requiring um, their medication titrating or making decisions about about what course of treatment they should have. I'm based in the hospital, so I'm the kind of fire warden for the building and I'm the security manager for the building and also doing clinical supervision and appraisal. And, and yeah, so it's a really wide repertoire of different types. It's, it's really interesting. I think I get bored. If I was in a job... It wasn't quite diverse. I think I'd get bored quite quite quickly. But it's there's always something every night. You never know what you're walking into. It's never the same. There are two general hospitals that kind of feed into our service as well. And then then we get calls from the police and the ambulance service if they go out to somebody and they they have, they have a kind of mental health query or emergency or they want advice. Did, did I hear that the police are now no longer answering mental health calls? <sighs> they. In some areas, and the Metropolitan Police said that they were withdrawing. I mean, certainly where I work, uh, we work uh, quite closely with the police to try and um, signpost the appropriate route for anybody who is presenting yes. with an acute mental health problem. And, and we have a practitioner who goes out actually in, in the patrol cars and will go and give hands-on kind of advice and support. And they will ring, they'll ring me, for example, if they if they feel somebody needs assessing admission. And, and, but it does vary. It, it's a bit of a code difference depending on mm-hmm. where you live. Yeah. I was wondering if you ever got the call and you had to go racing off in the blue lights with the police officers. and well, There's someone yeah. doing that. Thankfully, um, but oh. I'll, I'll, I'll oh. be opening the door to or them. Or if your husband to... drops you off in a plane. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So mental health, mental ill health, is getting a lot more press than money, I think it's fair enough to say, isn't it? I, I read a report today that the average waiting time for treatment with someone with ADHD is up to 10 years. You know, in other words, that they're never going to get treated. Uh, mental unwellness, mental ill health among the under 12s is up around 40%, isn't it? Uh, year on year. And there, there just isn't the expertise, there isn't the money to deal with that. Do, do you see that getting better? I think the umbrella of that mental health services encompasses is growing and growing all the time. And I think that. It's very difficult when you are prioritising because there's always going to be a limit to resources. You know, the, you, yes. you, it's unrealistic to think that there's going to be an unlim- unlimited resources. And I guess that that's where the CQC and NICE and commissioners are trying to work together to really look where do we need to target in terms to make the best use of the resources, the skills, the money that's available. And... In the same way that, that in, in, in physical health, that, that 
techniques are changing all the time. Scientific advancements are being made. Medications are changing. The targeted gene therapies and all these things. You know, these things are hundreds of thousands of pounds. And what price do you put on a on on a life? And and I guess in, in mental in, in mental health services, it's what degree of incapacity or, or, or disability. Where do you choose to target? the money that you have available and the staffing that you have available. It's not unlimited, of course. That that's, We have a mm. huge number of vacancies throughout the nationally, if you look. You know, I don't know what the the current kind of vacancy factor is, but it will be, be huge because everywhere is running with vacancies. And we recruit from overseas. We recruit continually looking at how many staff we're training. And, of course, we're doing other schemes out. So we have the nursing associates, and which is a different route to registration. But it's, I don't know all the answers and I don't think anybody does. And I think that what, what do you even class as, where does mental illness start? Where does, where's the continuum? Where do you want to draw your parameters on that? I I was chatting to someone about it earlier on today, in fact, who said, uh, I don't think there's any more mental ill health among children. It's just that uh, the fleet generation, we used to just get on with things. Actually, no, I don't think that is the case at all. Uh, but as you say, there's a continuum. And it's it's those at the, perhaps the lower end of that continuum that, that, that could get on with things and get better. But we just don't know enough about those individuals and about the best way of caring for them to see if that is the best way of, of doing it in, in modern society, because life has changed so much since we were kids. I think sometimes it's helpful to go back to basics sometimes, I think, and, and think, it's like Maslow, isn't it? What are your building blocks? Are you getting enough sleep, exercise, the right diet? What are the stresses in your life that you can address, that you can that you can do something about? Because some we can't, they're just over and above our, our, our control, but some things you can. And I think, again, for, for, for children, what is it that is causing them distress or what? how would they describe their concerns or their issues what do they feel they need support with because it might be quite different from what we perceive their needs are and I think some of the some of the therapies the the what we call the brief therapies the brief interventions which are solution focused are really putting the the person at the heart of and saying they they are the expert on their life even if they're a child they probably have a good idea of what they think are their uh, issues yeah. and, and, and what they might be able to start to do about them and it's giving them that reflective time and opportunity to explore that that's the important thing in a therapeutic relationship so you have all your psychological therapies going then going right up to where your patients are very psychotic and need to be in hospital because they're a clear risk to themselves or others usually themselves you know and much more awareness i suppose of self-help and cbt yeah. meditation you know all of these things that will have a part to play in wellness yeah Mm. Sure. sure you like you like asking difficult questions don't you tracy or posing difficult questions because i i see here that you got yourself into biomedical ethics yeah um i mean i think that when you study ethics then you end up with more questions than you ever have answers to <laughs> <laughs> Um, and even within philosophy, and th- there are so many different schools of thought, and you can look at a problem from a, a whole different array of different uh, perspectives and come up with different answers, and none of them are wrong um, necessarily mm-hmm. yeah, or right. Mm. But I think that sometimes that's it's really helpful to have that discourse because that's what allows you to explore what the options are and sometimes there is no right and wrong is there? in life there is no right and wrong and in certainly in, in, in medicine there can be more and more onus to practice defensively and to perhaps uh, and I'm sure this is true in veterinary medicine too because I think this is what's coloured some of the approach to be famous I think is it's almost become sometimes a bit of a medico-legal hand-holding exercise when in, in, in reality um, what we should be doing is we have a challenge how can mm. we meet challenge we, we sometimes veer off on the wrong path of that, that, that questioning process don't we yes i think that happens it we had a huge challenge obviously in human medicine with, with covid and we certainly didn't mm. get everything right so I mean, there's no doubt about that i think that, that we've learned public health lessons have, have learned and will continue to be learned from that but but i think the the journey is important isn't it and then to to have that kind of critical analysis afterwards and think about okay what would we do differently if this happened? Because almost invariably there's going to be another major pandemic at some point. It's just a matter of time, isn't it, what it is. But mm. Yeah, never... absolutely. absolutely. I guess 
we're get, getting back to Mike saying that you're used to difficult questions. And Mike and I could have been texting each other, wondering whether to go down this route further, because there, there is something that, that, that may, a question that, that may get us into, into deeper water than perhaps we want to in this podcast. Mike, what, what do you think? Mike's shaking his head. You don't think we should go down that route? I think it might be interesting. I think you're going to chicken ask. out again, aren't you? You're going to chicken out and ask me, get me to ask the question. You ask it better than me. That's the thing. You have more compassion and empathy. You should always ask. You should always ask the the unaskable questions. We were talking, when I did forensic psychiatry mm. for quite a long time, but a big chunk of my career is spent in the high secure prison system and dealing with some of the yeah the kind of I guess the people that society doesn't want on the outside. If you were going to assess risk, then you have to ask the unaskable questions. Is what we always. And, and okay. is there a particular technique that you should use in, a, in asking <laughs> these questions, Tracy? Because I add to your superior clinical knowledge and, and experience here. I think sometimes if you don't know how to say something, it's best to say, I don't really know how to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Go on then, Mike. Okay, I don't really know how to say this, but I'm going to say or ask this question anyway. Tracy, what's your favourite bread? <laughs> My favourite bread? Well done, Mike. Compassionately asked. <laughs> We're over that hurdle. <laughs> Down to Tracy now. Well, I don't know because Tracy hasn't answered. It's a mm, difficult one, Lacey, because it's it is difficult. difficult yeah, it is. It yeah. is because it, there might be. You know, it, I know it's got to be. It's got to be overall cranberry and cashew bread from the Tesco finest. Oh, I'm allowed to say Tesco. Probably not allowed to say Tesco. Of the supermarkets are available. Yeah. 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 I, we've not had that one before, have we? That's oh. an interesting one. What, what, what is this bread? It's it, it's one of their kind of, they do a, they do a whole range of about, about 10 yes. different speciality breads. And it's one of the breads in there. And, uh, and really, yes, it's really tasty. Interesting. So but particularly useful for hypoproteinemic ladies with cystitis. But yes. <laughs> but actually, great with cheese. Great with cheese. Yeah. Great. Would you have that with salted butter or unsalted? Because you wouldn't want the salt with cranberries, but you'd want them with the cashews, wouldn't you? Or or do you have it with jam? I'd, yeah, I'd just have lightly salted and and then some red onion marmalade. Oh, caramelised. Caramelised red onion. Caramelized. Oh, what cheese? Oh, what cheese? Okay. I like the blue cheeses. Blue cheese with cranberry. You'd be yes, thinking more yes. of a camembert, surely. Yes, but the soft blue cheeses are really nice. So they, they go really well. They go really well. Dolce Latte or, or rock. Yeah, we have, a, yeah, we have a, a little deli near us. I don't even know half the time what cheeses I'm eating. <laughs> I just say, uh, yeah, can I try some of that? And uh, they give me it. And then, yeah. Down to that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a cranberry and cashew nut bread. You must make one. Yes. Mm -hmm. Wow. There we go. So that's how you ask a difficult question then. <laughs> Brilliant. I think that you didn't mind us asking you. <laughs> I thought you could ask something really. <laughs> you could ask about euthanasia of 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 pets with special needs or something. Oh, go on then. Tell us about that. We can ask about that if that leads on from the biomedical ethics. It does. Now, as as a vet, we always get told euthanasia is not a welfare problem. For the pet, euthanasia is not a welfare problem. For the owner, it usually is a huge welfare problem. And one of the big problems we have as vets when we euthanize a pet because it, it is the, 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 the best thing to do in that situation, we have to then deal with the owner. And we do that to, to a greater or lesser extent that some of us will, will refer the owner to a grievance, uh, a, a, a grief, grieving or warning. <laughs> They're not grieving. Hopefully, hopefully they our job properly. We won't need to do that. A grievance proceeding. So, so some sort of grieving counsellor or bereavement counsellor. Others of us will just say, sorry about your loss, off you go, and uh, I'll send you a card with a packet of forget-me-nots in a week's time. Mm. I, I can't help feeling the best way is a gradual preparation. If you have that opportunity, but I guess if you, if you have that opportunity, I think that, yeah, it can be very sudden, or it can be, or it can be incremental, can't it? in the same way that human human death can be. It can be an anticipatory grieving over a long period of time if somebody has, for example, CA and mm. you know mm. widespread metastasis. You get you know that you're going one way, and obviously the uh, the end of life 
teams with women and Sue Ride, although they're very amazing. Yeah. But in A&E, you can have very sudden, but as I say, where people's lives have changed in an instant. They've said goodbye mm. in the morning and then they're, they're at the bedside and they're, they're dying in the evening. A very mm. tragic kind of sudden. Um, I guess hopefully, if you've known them for a period of time, then I suppose you, you have a relationship that you can probably judge what they might need. If you've never met them before, it's that bit harder, isn't it? But I, I think the most important thing is that you listen to what they to what they say, even if it's only for a few minutes, even if you've only got that that time to just uh, allow them to say what they want to say, if they want to say something. And some people may not, because we all deal with death differently. And uh, really? the trouble with death is it resonates with the other deaths you've ever had, that yes. the other losses. So it's not even as simple as the pet, is it? It's all very well saying it's not a pet welfare, but, you know, the, the pet's problem, but it, you know, it's so integral in that person's life. It's, yeah, absolutely. And a number of times a pet dies and the illness is like my dad went three months ago and, and this all comes back or, yeah. or gosh, my my aunt had exactly the same thing. And you wish that you hadn't said what you'd said to lead up to that and given them the trigger. But I guess they're going to find that trigger anyway, aren't they? They're going to, in a way, they need to. They need to find some sort of pattern to it. Because that's how we work through life, isn't it? We look at patterns, we look at ways of doing things that have happened that we can relate to because we've already compartmentalised those a little bit. Is that right? Yes, yeah, so I think they. if somebody wants to talk about it, then they, they we shouldn't be frightened of talking about death. I think uh, we're not very good probably at talking to people about loss and death and disability and oh, and that's come up a few times in in, in mm-hmm. ramblings that, that, that i think as a culture we handle death very badly mm-hmm. and our way is to not talk about it mm-hmm. and to hide it away other cultures may embrace not embrace death yeah. but mm-hmm. embrace the idea that that, that that we can celebrate someone's life we can celebrate a pet's life we can mm-hmm. acknowledge that they've gone but think that actually uh, their the, the contribution to our lives is still there. And we almost denigrate that, don't we, when we mourn someone's loss? Yes, I think there's, there, there's a real opportunity to uh, explore the gift that, that the animal has given them, that their pet has given them, and the joyful memories. And, uh, mm. and it's always, it's, we do it with a, with a wake in humans, don't we? But we don't have that really with pets we don't really have some, that some do yeah some do. Some, i think i believe you know some of the, the pet cemeteries don't they and yeah. Uh, yeah how many people most people's experience would be that they that sadly the journey to the vets and you make the final decision with the vet and, and you're left mm. alone to before and after to say your goodbyes and then you make a decision about where you want your animal to to, to finally go to rest whether they're going to uh cremated or what you're going to take them home bury them or whatever but I, yeah so i think it's all quite sudden and that maybe but of course a pet may be the only important thing in somebody's life and i think when we were talking to louise and we were first really exploring the became this kind of information and so many of the of, of, the, of the vets at that time were feeling that the only way forward really was was euthanasia but that was just yeah. a huge just uh, what for one lady that her pet was the only thing in her life that, that gave her meaning and that she felt was important or that was the reason she got up in the morning and it's yeah you have to look at every individual and their uh, circumstances hmm. and of course you haven't got time as vets have you for almost every vet it's been something they picked up as they've gone along and they've, they've gone through situations they thought yeah that went okay and, and others not. Well, what's your take on that, Mike? I, I'm, I'm blown away by the whole thing. I think, as, as you and I have discussed this at length, the, the discussion of death. For me, I think with my experiences and certainly some more of my more recent experiences out in nature and mm. the wilderness where one slip could prove fatal, I have more of a I suppose a, a laid back attitude about it in that tomorrow is a gift. 
Yeah. And you never know what is going to happen. As, as Tracy has said several times, we literally go about our lives routinely in, in the UK here, our so-called civilised civilization, with not a thought. And we step off the row, off the curb, and we don't even think about it. And yeah. life is a fragile and precious thing. And we take it for granted, I feel, very often too much. I think and we do. But that's, that's come from me walking around in the Arctic. It's, we are part of nature, just we pretend few, that we're not. A few years back, I was lucky enough, I think, privileged enough, to be present at the death of a friend. And I'd been to the nursing home. His wife and, and Dorman and son were there. And we were sitting around the bed, just chatting. And, um, and I noticed he, he'd stopped breathing. Uh, and I, I couldn't think what on earth we were talking about. But, but his wife just said, I was complaining about the shoes I bought. I was complaining about the shoes I bought and, and he's died. How can I, what an awful thing to be discussing is he's dying. Said, we were having a chat. He was part of that. He, he wasn't saying anything, but he was part of that routine part of life. And, and what was, was there anything more portentous that we should have been saying? Should we have all been quoting Shakespeare? Should we have been telling each other wonderful stories about what a, what a great guy he was. You, you can't handle those things, can you? You can't plan them. No, no not, not at all. Not at all. It's, well, that, took, that took a bit of a turn, didn't it? It, it did a bit. <laughs> and, and, that, and that's the danger that asking what your favourite bread will lead to. There you go. That, that's that's, that's, that's why we need to... That's all my fault. Okay, I want to turn this back. Before. The thing I would say, though, is you, you you don't need to wait for that moment, do you? Because hopefully everything that really needs saying in your life, you should have said it already. Absolutely. Yeah. And we should. Absolutely. You grasp, was it God's goldfish, isn't it? Copy DM. Mm. Yeah. I think it's God's goldfish. I use Google Translate. Mm. Yeah. So on that note, tell your loved ones you love them next time you see them. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Tell your bank manager you don't. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you want a mortgage. Unless you want a mortgage. In which case, tell you more who you love. Tell them everything. <laughs> or, or help with the overdraft. I, I, yeah. I don't. Where, where is this conversation going? I don't know. <laughs> but my, my wife said to me the other day, she said, look, if I die tomorrow, would you remarry? And I said, no, I don't, I don't want to chat about this. Of course I wouldn't. Don't she said, I want to know. It would make me happy. Just tell me. Are you going to get remarried? And I said, no, no, she's already married. And apparently that was the wrong answer. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. I don't know. Tracy, earlier on, you mentioned a number of things. And it's interesting because there's been a thread that's run through our, our conversation here, um, which is almost that every day is a school day. And that there's always more than one way of looking at a particular problem. And that uh, you you also mentioned that your special needs dogs have encouraged you to look at this alternative way or this different way of looking at things and problems. And uh, I'm sure it can't just be problems, can it? They must bring some joy and love into your life. It there's more joy in love than there are problems. And if I overemphasize the uh, the challenges and the, I guess, the, the changes that you might have to make to your routine and to the environment and the financial, because there, no, there invariably will be some some of those. But I think that is paid back a thousandfold by what they've given to me. And mm -hmm. I would now personally never not have one of my dogs with a special need of one sort or another, because they just are remarkable. They are remarkable. They are amazing. It's so sad that so many of them languish in shelters and rescues and are not adopted when they have so much to offer and so yeah. much that we can learn from. What one of my dogs has to go to the, the vet fairly regularly. The, the practice where you know I take her every time they're just happy to see her because she loves life so much. And it's almost as if she compensates for the the difficulties she experiences 
by being so kind to everyone around her and so appreciative of attention and so interested in everybody. It's as if she's just a sponge for that. Yeah, they're amazing. But I think they're not for everyone. They're not for everyone. And and they definitely need... If you take one on, you should see it through. And so you do need to have enough support around you that, you know, that you are able to have other people who can care for your pets if you're away or kennels that will take that that, that pet on. You don't want to be a, they're referred to as hero, hero rescues or hero adopters. It's not about that. But you just want to be realistic about what you can cope with and yeah. what kind of help you'll need. And for some of the dogs will not require any additional resources to look after them. And it won't be life limiting. They they will live a full, happy, normal life with the same ailments that any other animal might have. But others it will be. There will be ongoing costs and you have to be prepared to meet them, don't you? If you take on the dogs and if we're there, perhaps, for example, yeah. it's going to be ongoing costs of medication. Some of the dogs with orthopedic issues are going to, may need hydrotherapy, they may need physiotherapy, they may need chiropractic, they may need all of those things. So it's just about being clear on what you're taking on. And that there's a whole wealth of support systems available for anybody who wants to take on a, a pet with special needs. And I think I didn't realise that when I started on that journey. And because I only discovered Tribord UK, for example, really good groups for, for people with, with dogs who have a limb amputation. And, and afterwards, and, and there's a whole wealth of love, really. And, and in a world where sometimes we lack that, I think we had this conversation several years ago. Mike, well, Mike's, I... Mike's had a succession of special needs dogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the last one we were told, oh, we'll probably only live for a couple of years. Yeah. Well, they live forever, don't they? Yeah, yeah they eight, do. eight years later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I, I took on a, a fourteen-year-old dog at the end of its life three years ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but, but I, I guess what one other thing I'd say is that people wanting to know whether whether that dog is is right for them or, or that cat or whatever is right for them you should also chat to the vets yes chat to their, their local practice yes. maybe from the veterinary nurses or the vet that they will be able to advise them both practically on costs and yes. on likely ongoing treatment but also on on what to expect from that vet. So, absolutely but- they're your biggest ally aren't you vets and the veterinary nurses who are interested compassionate understanding knowledgeable and I, i'm incredibly lucky that i have an, an mm. amazing practice and with amazing vets and staff because it's the admin staff as well when you go in yeah. every, from the very first time you step foot in there you feel welcome and you feel that you're i think i guess people go into veterinary medicine for all sorts of different reasons as they do in human medicine mm. But and the vast majority of people, I think, come into it, hopefully wanting to make a difference and wanting to care and wanting to, to, to nurture. And maybe that part of that is to feel good about ourselves. What's wrong with that? What's, yeah. What is wrong with yeah. that? You know, then it's win-win, isn't it? You're helping someone else and you feel good. Fantastic. You know. I, I think so. And, and I, I go as far as to say, if, if your practice won't give you that advice, then that's not the practice for you. No. Change. We do advise people to check because in our charities have now a number of dogs with special needs and um, as I say, I'm involved in some groups where you know that they just deal with special needs dogs. And the advice is always go when you're contemplating taking on that dog, go to your vets, give them all the information, tell them everything, show them the x-rays, show them the, the reports that we've already got, and judge by their by their interaction with you whether you whether that's the right practice, whether yeah. that's the right vet. They may not have all the answers at once, but it's how they deal with that. Hmm. Whether yes. they're interested enough to deal with that or whether they say, yeah, no, we wouldn't really be interested in finding out about your pet. Yes, yeah. or feel that, that, don't get me wrong, I don't think that every life is a life worth living. No one would want to see an, a, an animal suffering in, in no. tractable pain. I think that there are absolute limits, but there are so many uh, disorders and so many disabilities that do not cause pain and suffering. And for them to be seen as a burden or as a, a lesser being because they are different is a sad you know, I think it's a sad reflection of of somebody's value system, really. Mm. You you said to me earlier on that if you've got a difficult question, you should just come out and ask it. Mm. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to I'm going to beat around the bush. I'm going to do this traditional English style for our American listeners. 
I wonder if you could summarise in, let's say, about a minute, some of the joy and the excitement that these special dogs bring to your life. <laughs> when you say a minute, are you talking of an exact minute? I was wondering possibly well, whether it might be, maybe perhaps okay if Tracy would take the 60-second CPD challenge, but I wasn't prepared to ask her directly. I but yeah. so. so, Tracy, are you up for the 60-second CPD challenge? Got to be done. It's got to be done. Okay. All right. Yay. Yes. Okay. Tracy Turnbull, 60-second CPD on the joy and excitement that special dogs bring to your life starting now. Like most people, I came uh, to adopt a dog with special needs by accident when nobody else wanted her or would uh, take her on. And I was extremely worried, frightened, apprehensive, didn't know what I was taking on. And I should never have had those worries. My worries should just have been about what, how I should have not turned her into a complete diva. Uh, but she is, uh, you know, and, and uh, since then I've gone on to help many, many uh, dogs with special needs. There spirit, their resilience, their hope, their forgiveness, their empathy to um, the emotions of, of, of humans is just incredible. And um, I have learned so much about myself. My children and my grandchildren have learned so much about um, that being different isn't about um, being a, having a lesser quality of life or being a lesser a lesser person or a lesser animal. Uh, you will treasure the memories forever, so get one. <laughs> and that's it. And that's perfect. There we go. <laughs> right in on one minute. Fantastic. Amazing. Um, I have a special needs dog and I did have a special needs cat and a special needs tool. Amazing. <laughs> oh, I'm really. I, I knew though. I knew you would. This is the. <laughs> I could tell. <laughs> we have that look about us. Yeah, you, you, you have certainly uh, yeah an aura about you that you know, and and that compassion and understanding. I think yeah. Oh dear, yeah, it's all put on. We, we're not really. We're really mm. it's, I, I've gone out of my way to cultivate this hard macho image, and you look. We're, we're skinheads. Yeah, <laughs> we're well yeah, bristle, yeah. bristle. Dogs? Can I ask about your dogs? What? They, what? Are Mine's no longer with us, and he. What was wrong with Bongo? What was right with Bongo? I've got a Bongo. You've got a Bongo. I've got a Bongo. Hey, yes. I, I, I don't think anything was right with Bongo. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think poor, poor old Bongi, he was um, he was an RSPCA rescue. He was a collie. And when they took him away from the owner, he weighed, I think it was something like three or four kilos, which is almost yeah. a tenth of the weight. Yeah. Not a tenth of the weight, but uh, way under underweight. His head didn't fit on his neck properly. And his his spine at his hips didn't fit properly, and he was very wobbly, and he couldn't walk properly, and he had Tourette's, and and I loved him. Not not the coprolegia form. No. <laughs> <laughs> bah, bah. Yeah. There he did. That's exactly what he had. Actually, yeah. And period periodically, as he was trying to make his way along, sort of wibble. Wobble, wibble, wobble. He was like a, a catwalk model on steroids with crutches <laughs> as he tried to lollop his way across the grass. And occasionally he would just, for no apparent reason, fall over. But, but we loved him and I, I miss him desperately. So no, that's see. my bongo. So I have a Jake rather than a bongo. And Jake is a, an indeterminate breed, could be a Shih Tzu cross, who is around 16 and a half and I took him on during uh, Covid when his owner sadly was uh, unable to, to cope with her anymore for health reasons and Jake has two deformed forelimbs okay. one of which at the age of, of, of 12 or 13 the owner came to see me to say is there anything we can do because I've just taken him on. He's unable to use his right fore. And poor Jake is falling was so curved that he was walking on his on the back of his wrist. Okay. So 
I operated and, and, and straightened his leg to as much as I could so he can at least walk on, on, on part of his paw. And I had him to stay for the Pokestop care for two or three weeks because, again, the owner wasn't able to look after him. And, and the whole family fell in love with him during that time because he is uh, so impossibly wrong mentally and physically that, that you can't help but to <laughs> feel sorry for him and love him. And then when, when the owner said, look, I can't manage him anymore, we thought... As I said, it'll be six months. We can look after him for six months. And three years on, he's still <laughs> buggering on. And he's lovely. He's great. He's completely deaf, partially blind. Can't walk more than 10 or 20 metres in a day because he gets very tired. But he's also being carried places uh, and, and sniffing new air. He's wonderful. He's great. So he didn't even come out and see me last time. He sleeps hard these days. He sleeps hard. <laughs> you can't describe to somebody who hasn't had one, just what they give you or how they're different. It's intangible, isn't it? And I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah. And I, yeah. I don't know how you get that across to people who haven't experienced it. Uh, other than advocating on behalf of them and hoping that some people will take the, the leap of faith. Yeah, and, and in fact, my mother-in-law has has a tripod cat. She lost her other cat at the grand old age of 15 or 16 and was looking for another one. and. We had a stray that I'd had to amputate one of his legs. And she said initially, oh, no, I could never have a cat with three. Oh, no, I can't. Because some people are revolted at the thought of yeah. an amputation with them. And she came around to visit one day, and I happened to have the cat with us for the weekend. And I don't think she was wearing her glasses. She didn't quite notice for the first hour that this cat was sitting on a knee, that he only had three legs. And then I said, oh, this is Max, by the way. Max. Max, not oh, the cat with three legs. I said, yeah. Yes. <laughs> one, one leg for every letter of his name. And she looked at me and said, he's lovely, I'll have him. Oh. <laughs> and she's had him now for seven years. So. But you don't even notice the... It's really strange because when I talk about two tripods and when I take them out and people say, oh, you've got three legs. And what happened? Because always, that's always the question. <laughs> and... But it's really strange because it's almost now, it's almost, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, because to me, they just are who they are. And, yeah, and yeah. I don't even see the disability. And I think that I only really realised that it's not just me, it's the whole family, because the grandchildren had, they were at school and oh, my grandson, my grandchild, and, and they were obviously doing a, a teaching session on uh, you know, disability. And so they showed them a cartoon, which was The Present. Have you seen it? The, and watch it if you have. It's only a really short film. It's called The Present. And a, a young lad who's, his mum brings him home a box and in the box is a puppy. And he's already really happy to see the puppy. And then the puppy kind of jumps out and he realises the puppy's only got three legs and he's, he kicks the puppy away and doesn't want to play with it. But the puppy is just undaunted and full of joy in life and just continually. <clears throat> so in the end, he, he thought, oh, okay, I'm going to play with you. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Do you want yeah. to know the end? Yeah, but the I'll cartoon is yeah. called yeah. The Present and it's yeah. very good. <laughs> so he, he gets up to walk to the door to play ball with this puppy that just won't give up. And you realise that he's an amputee, the little boy's an amputee. And um, well, and, gosh. And, and my grandson uh, then said, uh, the teacher sort of said, yes, and this is obviously, there are lots of different people. Some people may have a disability that's visible. Some people may have a disability that's not that's not visible, but we're all, we're all the same inside. And my yeah. grandson said, yeah. Yeah, he said, I thought, I thought everybody had dogs with three legs. He's only young, but yeah, with three legs, because my man's got two. <laughs> yeah. 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 The leg extra. And I think it's good to it's good for them to stare. It's good for them to ask questions. I encourage yes. them when the when we when we take the dogs out for children to come and yeah. ask because they will ask the unaskable questions, won't they? Children. They're just Yeah, they will. They will. And it's normal to, and it's normal to have a curiosity that for some reason we tend to call a morbid curiosity. But yeah. actually, it's just a curiosity how things work. How yes. does he do it? How does yes. he cope? Yes. Yeah. The, the revulsion is interesting. There's, of course, there's lots of psychological kind of reasons why people feel, may feel revulsed. But the, the probably at the root of it is the fear of what we don't know, isn't it? And, mm. yeah. and, yeah. and it's about our own vulnerability. How would we feel? How would we function if we were in that if we were in that situation? And um, but of course, you know, how you actually would deal it would be quite differently to how you would view it when you're not in that position. That's the that cartoon's called the present. Did you say? The present, yes. The I'm present. sure it's the present, yeah. I mean, Julian's probably got a present for us, haven't you, Julian? I have got a present. I've got a, oh, pre yeah. I've got a certificate. What, a CPD a certificate. certificate? A CPD certificate. 
fantastic. And it says, here we go, it says certificate to to show the benefits of having a special needs oh, dog. Oh, that's awesome. So, so there's Jake. Now he's oh, particularly what? attractive with a feather stuck to his nose. <laughs> I took that earlier today. But you can see his bent legs. Our previous cat, that was Jimmy there. And Jimmy uh, was a female cat. Uh, and she had she had cerebellar hypoplasia and used to twitch quite a lot. Now, there's another special needs cat I had. This is tarsal hypoplasia. This poor little cat that had what we call munchkin syndrome, which is very foreshort limbs. And in the middle there is a jaguar I saw at a zoo once that had special needs that, that we had created by captivating it. So this poor jaguar had stereotactic, stereotypic behaviour. But there are other ones that we make that we don't normally think of as a special educational needs. So there's a dog and there's a cat. And I've done nose amputations on for various reasons. And in both those cases, the owner, we had to counsel quite strongly beforehand because it has changed their, their facial appearance, which is a, a bigger problem than, than, than losing a limb because our faces and our pet's faces are what make them mm. our pet. These, these poor little uh, critters had, had nasal tumours and both went on to live their, their normal allotted lifespan after their, their, their noses were removed. And the owners forgot, yes. in both cases, and in every other case I've, I've dealt with, they forgot that the, the, the operation had been done yeah. to the extent that people would come along and say, oh, gosh, what happened to your dog? What? Where? Where? <laughs> Where's the news? Yes. Oh, that, yes. No, that's right. I'd forgotten about it. So the look doesn't make the pet, does it? No. No. It's your relationship with them yeah. that's special. Brilliant. Um, and Tracy, you've been very special by telling us all these, all the reasons behind why we should have a special needs pet. And you thoroughly deserve that certificate for giving us uh, an amazing 60 second CPD and a wonderful evening of, of learning about, about your life, travel through life, and why we should all have a, a special needs pet. We definitely should. Okay. In that case, if we could, it's probably time to, to start closing up. But I'm wondering, Tracy, if I could burden you once more and whether I could ask you to ask our audience a reflective question that perhaps summarises what we have been talking about this evening. Would that be possible? Yes, definitely. I guess the question I would pose to your audience is, from everything that we've talked about tonight, has it made you contemplate or think about owning a pet with special needs. Okay. There we go. So everyone, think about it. Yeah. Yeah. A lot and of pets uh, need rehoming. And if the answer is yes, you may They can come that, to me. <laughs> I, I was going to say, you, you, yes. <laughs> if the answer is yes, when our audience think about the question that you've just posed them so, so beautifully, um, you mentioned there are a number of support systems available to help them through that decision and ongoing are there any particular places you say come to me but i could see the floodgates opening for you <laughs> where should somebody go for more information about this I, you know much as social media has its downsides it has some really positive there are some really positive aspects to it too and i think if you're thinking about owning an, a, a dog or a cat, an animal with special needs and you have an idea about what you think you might or could take on and are capable of of, uh, of giving the time to and the, the financial commitment, whatever it is, then go and, and look up, look that up because there will be groups just catering. So if you're interested in owning a deaf pet, if you're interested in owning a blind pet, if you're interested in owning a tripod, if you're interested in owning a, a paralysed dog, then just search it out and go on and just give you a reason for wanting to join because they're often closed groups and I think they're done for a reason because you really do want it to be supportive. You really need the support. And I, so they're likely to be closed groups, but just say I'm thinking about taking on or, 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 or adopting or fostering because that's a great way to start foster and see how you feel see how much time and commitment you can give and what and maybe have some have a few different pets with different needs before they go on into their forever home and and then read the posts that people are, are putting on because you're going to see the good 
the good, the bad, the ugly, you're going to see everything and, and, and ask questions on there. Let the, let the group who usually have, are living that experience or have lived that experience, let them, let them help you and guide you. Because they, 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 there really is a tremendous amount of support within the, the network of people who are owning and adopting or rescuing pets with special needs. It's very different from mainstream rescue, I think. Fantastic. <clears throat> Fantastic. That's great advice. That's brilliant. Tracy Turnbull, thank you so much for sharing an insight into your life and the w- amazing work that you do. It's been an absolute privilege to talk with you this evening. If if you've enjoyed or have any questions for Tracy or Julian or myself, and you've enjoyed this evening's veterinary ramblings, please don't forget to like and share, and please subscribe because it really does make a difference. Tracy Turnbull, thank you very much indeed. May your dog go with you. <laughs> thank you. May your dog go with you. Thank you, to go with you. Cheers. It's been an absolute pleasure. Cheers. Thank you so much. Thank you for all you do. Thank you. And what, what a great evening. Thank you so yeah. much. Fabulous. Thank you yeah. very much indeed, Tracy. Yeah.